our series of podcast interviews on sexual health and STD prevention, we talk today to Dr. Amy Shallot, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Dr. Shallot is known for her research on sexual health in adolescents. A few years ago, she published an article in Medscape entitled, Must We Fear Teen Sexuality?, in which she explores differences in the attitudes towards adolescent sex among teens and their parents in the U.S. compared to the Netherlands. She has presented on her findings at a number of conferences, including the past two SD prevention conferences in Jacksonville and Chicago. Hi, Amy. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us. In your article, you described the main difference between American and Dutch attitudes towards teen sexuality in terms of dramatization and normalization. Can you explain these terms? Well, the quick answer would be that dramatization refers to a cultural process, but also the way in which the society is set up in terms of resources and so forth, that really emphasizes teen sexuality as a dangerous, conflicted thing that is difficult for young people to control, that causes conflicts between boys and girls, and also conflicts between parents and teenagers. In the Netherlands, we have a very different way in which teenage sexuality came to be viewed over the last three, four decades. And that is a process of normalization, which emphasizes teen sexuality as a normal part of growing up from sort of age 16, 17 on. Uh, it emphasizes that young people can really recognize when they're ready, they can make their sexual choices, and that they can use contraception to prevent pregnancy and disease. And it also emphasizes, and this is an important part of the normalization, that sexuality can be part of relationships, that it's not sort of the battle of the sexes as much as the way teen sexuality came to be seen in the U.S., but boys and girls can sort of make decisions together, form relationships together. And finally, the normalization refers to the ways in which parents and teenagers are able to talk about sexuality. Not that it's, you know, always so easy, but there's an emphasis to make sexuality a normal topic of discussion and not something that leads to great problems between parents and teens or conflicts or young people hiding their sexuality and, you know, coming home pregnant, that kind of thing. One of the reasons why this sort of dramatization, normalization is so significant and notable is that when you look just in terms of sexual behavior, the two countries are actually very similar. So young people start their sexual activity on average around age 17 and then marry a little bit less than a decade later. So the pattern of adolescent sexual development, just in terms of when they start to have sex and the period during which they have sex before they're married, is similar. But the way in which the two societies view it and deal with it is very different. One of the themes that you identify in um, the way that you've written about this is that in the Netherlands, there seems to be something called self-regulation. At least that's your term. What do you mean with that? Well, again, one of the ways to explain that is to kind of contrast it between the two. So in the U.S., one of the ways that people talk a lot about teen sexuality is in terms of hormones and hormones that are out of control. And it's just like a force that's hard for young people to deal with. In the Netherlands, 
there's an emphasis on self-regulation. So that comes out sort of in two ways. The first is that the way in which adults talk about teenagers and when they're going to be ready, they emphasize that young people can really, if they are very close to themselves and pay close attention, know when they are ready. But being ready isn't just doing whatever you want, as it's often conceived in the American context. It means recognizing yourself as being ready also means that you're going to be able to plan your sexual acts, that you can actually prepare, get contraception, that there's a way in which it's possible to combine the positive aspects of sexuality with the responsibilities. The other thing is that here we tend to look at sexuality as sex per se, whereas what you describe is that in the Netherlands it's much more part of a relationship, a relationship building in which the development of intimacy and love is something that is talked about between parents and their children, where that is not really something that is acknowledged so much in this society. That's definitely true. I mean, and that happens, again, as you said, in both areas, both between young people, boys and girls, and between teens and their parents. And one way that that is actually most notable is that both parents and teenagers in the Netherlands assume that young people can fall in love and form relationships. And in fact, a common way that people talk about relationships is through the word forgetting, which is courtship sort of indicating this relational context. And in fact, when you look at the statistics, you see that the vast majority of young people having sex consider themselves to be very in love with their partner and to be in a steady relationship. So conversations about sex are always also conversations about relationships. So for sex education programs might be called long-lived love, you know, not necessarily long-lived sex, you know. Sex may be part of love. And that is something that seems to really fall outside of the conversation in the U.S. What does it mean to fall in love as a teenager to form a relationship? I think there is agreement, and I think probably agreement both in the U.S. and other countries. And talking about sexual health is really something that ought to happen between parents and their children, or at least that should be the starting point at the very least. But a lot of parents find it difficult to do so. It seems from from your article that in the Netherlands, parents don't have any problem talking about sex to their children. Is that true? No, no, I, I wouldn't say that that is in general true. I mean, I think for some parents, it may be relatively easy. But I think that in both countries, it's complicated. There's a lot of ways in which parents aren't quite sure what to tell what kind of life they want their child to have in general. So I think that some of these big questions come up as well as just sort of the particulars of exactly how do you do it. But that said, I do think that the Dutch parents have a little bit more ease in doing that exactly because they are able to normalize sexuality and see it as something that is obviously going to become part of their children's lives as they form relationships. And it's also something that is they don't want their children to hide from them or take elsewhere, as a lot of the parents say that that was the way it was for them when they were raised, you know, don't talk about it, don't get caught, that kind of thing. But today, one of the um, common practices in the Netherlands is for parents to, once their child is, again, sort of 16, 17, and has a steady relationship, the parents will often let the boyfriend or the girlfriend spend the night. And this is something that also, before that that can happen, 
conversations have to happen about using contraception, about is this a good relationship, are you comfortable with this person, they need to get to know the person. So there are ways in which the sleepover itself kind of spurs these types of conversations and allows them to happen. So in trying to wrap this up a little bit, Amy, how do these insights that you've gotten by comparing these different ways that these societies look at teen sexuality, how can these insights help us here in the U.S. to shift the public discourse from sexual disease to sexual health? What can we do with this information when we talk about sexual health in the U.S.? Well, I think there's a couple of things. I mean, first is something that actually needs to be mentioned, which is that the sexual health outcomes in the Netherlands are much better than they are here. American teenage girls become pregnant more than six times the rate that Dutch teenagers do. American teens are also more likely to get STDs. And also in terms of their sort of subjective experience of sexuality, Dutch teenagers do better. They describe their sexual choices as things they felt in control of. They look back on their sexual experiences fondly as opposed to something that you have in the U.S. with a lot of teens not sure whether it was a good experience, whether they wish they had waited, etc. So overall, the outcomes tend to be better. So first implication is that a country that is able to normalize teen sexuality is going to better support teenagers as they make this transition. Now, how do we shift in the U.S.? That's kind of a complicated question and one that a lot of people are struggling with. One of the ways that I think about it is that things that you can bring from one country to another and there's things that don't translate as well. So, for instance, what I don't necessarily suggest that people start permitting the sleepover and that then all the problems in the U.S. are going to be gone. But I do think that we can look at some of the underlying principles under the Dutch normalization and we can apply them here. And one of the ways that I've thought about this is in terms of an alternative ABC schema. Some of American public health is organized around the ABC model, which is the idea that you want to promote abstinence until marriage and condom use as a last resort. But I, I really think that an alternative ABC would do better. And the A here is what I call the autonomy of the sexual self that really tries to get at that piece of self-regulation. How do you give young people the tools to, A, recognize when they're ready to plan their sexual experiences, to prepare, to use contraception, to know how to say what they do and don't want? These are all aspects of developing an autonomy. The second is the B, the emphasis on building good relationships and understanding that conversations about sexuality have to also be conversations about relationships and how you build them and what makes for a good relationship. And then the C is connectedness between parents and teenagers. Research also in the U.S. shows that when young people can stay connected to their parents during the adolescent years, they do better in all kinds of ways. And too often in this country, sex becomes something that kids have to hide from their parents. It's something that then can cause conflict when it comes out. So how do we really promote a cultural attitude that allows teenagers and parents to remain connected. How do we take these concepts of autonomy, building good relationships, and this concept of connectedness, how do we build that into something that we could use in a public health or in an intervention type of perspective? 
I think that at the most basic level, the implications are certainly that young people need to be given resources both in the home and outside of the home through sex education, through clinics that are available to them, both information about sexuality, contraception, condom use. But the conversation can't stop there. Too often in the U.S., the conversation is either don't do it or if you do it, be safe and this is how you do it, X, Y, Z. But that in fact, to promote these broader set of skills and capacities, which are really what make it easier for sexuality to be a healthy part of development, that they also require a broader conversation. And that conversation ought to take place not just among teens, but importantly also among teens and their parents, as well as among teens and their educators. Exactly. So the connectedness, too, is teens with parents, but also teens with caregivers. In a nutshell, that's part of the problem in the U.S. Because adults across the board, in home, at school, in the clinic, they don't really know how to talk about sexuality. So they, you know, they either say, don't do it until you're married, which is something that hasn't been happening in the U.S. for half a century. It's completely not the reality of people's lives. Or they talk about it in terms of a disease, and that's not particularly helpful because that makes people scared and so forth. So they don't get a lot of guidance from adults in responsible positions, and so they end up trying to figure all of this out just among their peers or from the television. A lot of times people say, like, you know, well, isn't the media the problem? And there may be some truth to that, but I think the media becomes particularly problematic when there are no broader conversations going on between young people and adults that actually talk in a more realistic way about these questions. Okay. Thank you, Amy. You're welcome. SD Podcasts are produced by Ben Westergaard for the Internet and SD Center of Excellence. I am Case Reitmeyer with SD Prevention Online. Thank you.